are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Insomnia, which came out in 2002, and was directed by Christopher Nolan. It stars Al Pacino, Robin Williams, Hilary Swank, Maura Tierney, Martin Donovan, Nikki Catt, Crystal Lowe, Jonathan Jackson, and Paul Dooley. The genre would be mystery thriller. They brought him in to solve an unspeakable crime. Detective Dormer, it's such an honor to meet you. I'm Detective Ellie Burr. Welcome to Night Mute. So incredible to be working with you. The Leland Street murders was my case study at the Academy. Someone out there just beat a 17-year-old girl to death. Your job is to find him. Police! What Detective Dormer doesn't know is that murder is only part of the plan. He will get inside your head. Another night up like this and you're really gonna lose it. Now the game has turned deadlier than he ever imagined. This whole thing you're doing ain't gonna work with me. Hold it! Where is she, Finch? Rewatching this recently, it was actually better than I remembered, considering that it seems to be the one Christopher Nolan film that no one ever talks about anymore. And it's also the last R-rated film that he would direct until Oppenheimer. It's a strong thriller for grown-ups, with grown-up violence, and with a cohesive story, and audible dialogue, too. <laughs> That's not to say that I haven't enjoyed bombastic blockbuster Nolan. I mean, Batman Begins and Inception are both fantastic examples of elevated genre entertainment with both heart and intelligence. But I do wish that he would sometimes scale things down and direct more grounded mid-budget films like Insomnia. Because on paper, this particular story could have easily devolved into something more generic, along the lines of Law & Order Alaska. Thankfully, it doesn't, thanks to a pretty sharp, moralistic script from Hilary Seitz, who would actually go on to only write one more film after this. Not sure why. Nolan's canny direction, gorgeous cinematography from his longtime collaborator Wally Pfister, and of course, a stellar cast. And that cast is led by Al Pacino in probably one of his last great performances as Will Dormer, an L.A. cop going to Alaska in the summer to investigate a murder. This whole thing you're doing, you know, this fuck the world act. And that might work with you, Mamo. It might even work with a couple of these local cops who've known you long enough to figure you're too dumb ever to kill anyone without leaving a couple of witnesses and a signed confession. Ain't gonna work with me. Because I know things. You understand? I know you beat your girlfriend. I know she was seeing somebody else. Somebody she might have even gone to see after she walked out on you Friday night. Now you're gonna tell us who that somebody might be? Are you so fucking stupid? You're gonna leave yourself as the last person to see Kate Connell alive. I don't know. You don't know. I couldn't get her to tell me. Now, 24-hour sunlight at this time of the year is obviously messing with him mentally and physically, preventing him from getting enough sleep, hence the title. Pacino looks and sounds very haggard throughout, 
but it's in service of a strong performance of a veteran cop who has been rotting from the inside out for years and is now just realizing it. The late great Robin Williams plays the suspected killer whom Will starts to have an ongoing cat and mouse with. I think this was actually Robin Williams' first full-on villain role since he became Robin Williams, the big star in the 80s and 90s. And I remember there being quite a genuine novelty at the time of release towards actually watching Robin Williams, lovable Robin Williams, go the evil route. But years later, his performance still holds up. His Walter is one cool customer and never raises his voice. He talks a good game about the, quote, intent to murder someone, and the verbal exchanges between him and Pacino are probably among the film's highlights. I knew that everyone would think that I meant to do it. So I cleaned the body up, removed all trace of evidence connected to me. Except for your fucking novel. <laughs> Under pressure, you don't always see the wood for the trees. You, for one, should have figured that one out by now. They never look in the eyes of a killer. Killing changes you, you know that. It's not guilt. I never meant to do it. It's like awareness. Life is so important. How could it be so fucking fragile? Also quite good is two-time Oscar winner Hilary Swank. And between Oscars, no less. She's playing a young local cop who looks up to Will, but is not as impressionable as she initially seems to be. Especially as she delves into a local shooting involving Will early in the movie. Don't move. You shot Detective Eckhart. And Finch saw you do it. Did you mean to shoot Hap? I don't know anymore. Everything comes to a head in a relatively muted but effective climax, which leads to a pretty touching and unexpected ending. Nolan has always excelled at keeping his audience on their toes, and this film is no different, despite its smaller scale. Though I never quite found it as mind-blowing as Memento, which came out the year before, this was still a worthy follow-up, and I highly recommend it to anyone seeking a watchable thriller for grown-ups. Let's search this place. What are we looking for? For the dress. What dress? Ellie's. Ellie's Kay's dress. The rambling will. Ellie's here. Thank God you got me taking care of us. Us? She saw the dress. What us? We're in the same boat. Where'd you get us? Don't talk to me about us, you sick mother. She's alive, Will. Ellie! Which brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. David Julian composed the score for this film, along with a couple of Nolan's earlier films, including previous episode Memento and The Prestige. I honestly could not find out much about him, and he actually hasn't done much since the early 2000s either. But I have to say that as with Memento, this is a very effective score for a thriller, both tense and haunting, which comes through immediately over a short, memorable opening credit sequence. As the credits start, the screen is blindingly white, with the title starting to appear in blurry lettering. We see that white dissolve into a haunting close-up of blood spreading throughout the fabric of clothing, then transitioning into the camera panning across frosty white hills. All of this is presented with an almost startling brightness to look at, which will basically remain the visual motif for most of the remainder of this film. Julian's opening theme here is mostly orchestral, with a heavy emphasis on strings. Combined with the music, this series of imagery just nails the tone for the movie which follows.
The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. The look of this film is impeccable and was also another reminder of a long-running collaboration between Nolan and an ace cinematographer, which would last more than 12 years. Every Chris Nolan film from Memento through the conclusion of his Dark Knight trilogy, and this was some run of movies too. Seven excellent films, four Oscar nominations for Best Cinematography, including one win for Inception, which is arguably Nolan's best-looking movie. I'm talking about Chicago's own Wally Pfister, who during this time period also did excellent work for Moneyball, which might be one of the best-looking baseball movies ever made. Pfister himself actually never did much feature work outside of the Nolan filmography, but in 2013, he landed his very first directorial gig, taking on the highly anticipated AI thriller Transcendence starring Johnny Depp, Paul Bettany, and Morgan Freeman. Transcendence came out in the spring of 2014, and I remember there being significant hype in the lead-up to its release. Pfister was well-known at the time as one of our best cinematographers, so it was pretty exciting to see what he would do as director. Alas, the film was both a critical and commercial disappointment. Just not a good movie in my opinion either. It really just had a bizarre blandness about it, considering its wild subject matter. I mean, the story revolved around the spirit of a dead scientist who takes on the form of an AI, eventually forming a singularity which would try to take over the world. Sounds pretty exciting, right? Well, it wasn't. And unfortunately, after that for Fister, according to his IMDb, he has done nothing since then besides shooting a Taco Bell commercial. Wow. Why? Nobody really knows, as Nolan would then partner with DP Hoyt Van Hoytema on his next several films, up to and including Oppenheimer. And don't get me wrong, I pretty much have enjoyed every Nolan film since The Dark Knight Rises, and the challenges which had to come with shooting such uniquely epic projects like Dunkirk or Interstellar had to be daunting. All good-looking movies. But if you ask me, the ones that Nolan did with Fister looked the best. And apparently since flaming out as a feature director, Fister just kind of decided that he didn't want to work in cinema any longer, which is a shame. Here's hoping that he eventually returns. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is a scene or moment that best describes this movie. Roughly about 25 minutes in, there is a very tense sequence featuring Will and his L.A. partner, Hap, played by Martin Donovan, who are leading a group of local cops in a sting operation at a remote cabin in the woods, which is located at the edge of a rocky riverbank, immersed in fog. There's evidence planted there for a murder that they are investigating, and they are hoping to draw out the killer. When suddenly a mysterious figure shows up at the cabin, only he's very much obscured by the fog and a murky, slowly moving cat and mouse chase results into that very fog. Each officer is now on his own, and shots are fired, and suddenly Pacino's dormer is on his own. He sees this mysterious figure approaching in the fog, and he takes a shot. He gets his man, or so he thought. Will comes up to this figure on the ground and finds that it's actually his partner, Hap, now bloodied and dying. Dormer tries to save him, but it's too late. So now Dormer feels the need to cover this up. Only there's one other person in the woods who witnessed this. And guess who that was? And thus starts a mental cat and mouse between Walter and Will, along with the moral conundrum that his protagonist faces for the remainder of the movie. This whole sequence is a crisply edited masterclass in tension and remains one of Nolan's best. And this brings us to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Crafting mid-budget suspense thrillers for adults has become a lost art in recent years, and I really do miss movies like this. Occasionally, we see something in this vein along the lines of last year's Emily the Criminal, which was quite good. And considering that this was only his second feature film, I feel like Nolan did a strong job of elevating the genre a bit, with both his narrative style and his willingness to take this story to a morally fitting conclusion, which was actually quite different from the ending of the original Norwegian film of the same name, which came out five years prior. 
That movie, which starred podcast favorite Stellan Skarsgård, was actually a very good thriller in its own right. But with a top-flight cast and Nolan's visual flair, this American version was actually an improvement. And I do love the ending of this movie, his willingness to go there. You take the door off? I called for backup. They'll be here soon. Dormer, just hold on. Nobody needs to know. You didn't mean to do it, and I know that, even if you don't. No, don't. For directing a taut, satisfying story, Christopher Nolan is the MVP. Because for me, the, the important thing about deciding where to put the camera, about blocking, is I like to think a lot about how close the camera is to the person. And I believe that the audience, on some level, is aware of that distance. So there's a scene in the film where you're making a telephone call, you know, make the telephone call to uh, the partner's wife. And, and I remember when you came in to sit down to to do the scene, you were pretty surprised at where the camera was because it was pretty close to your nose on a, on a 75. But that, to me... I was very happy about that. I know that. Well, I guess, yeah, and I guess yeah. It, 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 these days that's a little unusual. People tend yeah. to want to have longer lenses, cameras further away. But I think right. that creates a distance, and I think that you don't get that intimacy. And what really I found is when we put the camera right there in your space, yeah. the performance is then... Exactly yeah. appropriate to somebody being that close yeah. and being so in your head. It really helped. My rating for insomnia would be four and a half stars out of five. <laughs> if you haven't seen this yet, check it out. It's one of Nolan's best, along with several great performances from some of our best actors. And if you're looking to watch insomnia, it is currently available to rent or buy on all major online platforms. And that ends another nebulous review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.